Today's reading is from the Ten Commandments in Exodus, Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. One of the, uh, the questions that Lisa and I, that we, that, we often, um, that we often ask whenever folks kind of come to us and want you know, counsel about discerning their, their future or whatnot, one of the questions that we often ask is this, who does God want you to become? Like as you're thinking through like future, whether that be relationship uh, questions or whether it be like vocational directions or should I move from this place to that place or some situation that's going on that becomes one of the questions. Who does God just who does he want you to be? Who does he want you to become? We, we ask folks to imagine who they sense God longing them to be three years or five years or 10 years or 50 years from now. And we ask them to imagine. Imagine yourself at that place in the future with the Lord standing next to you. And who are you in that place? Who do you sense God wooing you to become? What are the character qualities that you have developed at that point? What are the areas of your life do you sense God wanting you to mature in when you get there? What habits, spiritually or physically or emotionally, do you embody as you imagine your future self? And, and, and as you think through it, in what ways are you uh, more conformed to the image of Christ as you peer into the face of yourself six, seven, eight years from now? We ask this of uh, couples that are discerning engagement or career moves or anything like that, because the next step of the question is to ask, are the things that you're doing now or the relationship that you're in now, will that actually help you become the person you sense God intends for you to become? Uh, and if they are, then continue to walk in faithfulness. But if they're not, then a change is required. If they aren't, then the person that you're dating, they'll distract you or, de or derail you in your following of Jesus. If the career path that you have will keep you from becoming who God intends you to be, if the habits you've formed are, are arresting your development into the woman or man that God is wooing you to become, then changes are necessary. Now, I gotta tell you, a couple of weeks ago, Lisa and I, we were on vacation, we were in North Carolina, and I was actually thinking about this question. And I have this sense of who God wants me to be a couple of years from now. And I have a sense of who God wants me to be seven years from now. There's some year markers in there. I'll be 45 and then 50. That's why those, those aren't just arbitrary years. I was thinking about this. So I have a sense of who God wants me to, to be. Now, it's, it's a general sense. It's not crystal clear, but, but in a general sense, I know that there are areas of my life and of my character that God wants me to refine. There, there are values that I have that, frankly, they're really aspirational right now. I value them, but I'm not actively displaying those values in any tangible, regular, or meaningful way. And I sense that God wants me to be honest about those things that I value and to live into them. There's other areas of my life that I sense God wanting me to, to further surrender to Him and to experience healing in. And as I was journaling and thinking about this and going, okay, Lord, I have a sense of, of you know, what you want me to do and steps you want me to take, there was like just this lightning bolt of a thought that came to me that I really sensed that it was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And the Lord said clearly, you will never become the man that I intend for you to be apart from Sabbath keeping. And I sensed the Spirit saying to me that the person that he wanted me to grow into, that the areas of my life that need healing, 
the aspects of my character that need refinement or the parts of my identity that have been misshapen by my wounds and my insecurities, that the areas of spiritual discipline that the Lord wanted me to ingrain into my habits, that I wasn't going to be the Watson that he had in mind without a right and healthy and vibrant relationship with God's pattern for work and rest and Sabbath. And I wasn't going to work my way there. I was going to have to rest my way there. And I got to tell you that thought, it just, it frightened me. It, it, it just, it, it, I was like, oh my God, How, that's, that's hard. I, I might rather have God commanded me to work harder to secure my future Matthew that God had in mind. Because then I feel like I, I, I sort of have control and agency of it. If I just work harder, then I can become the man that God wants me to be. But the Lord was like, no, nah, that's not it. You have to rest in me. But instead, the sense that I had was that it wasn't a, a godly intention around my work that would drive me forward, but rather a God-honoring intention about my rest that would inform my work, that that was the way that the Holy Spirit was going to carry me forward. And while that moment and that word from God, it was for me, my strong sense has been that it wasn't only for me. I believe that it may be for others and that it may be for a lot of us in this room as well. As you think about the ways that you want God to shape your life and your future, as you pray about the person that you sense God wanting you to become, that there's this growing realization that for you to grow, for you to heal, and for you to flourish in the Lord and in life, it will require a healthy and vibrant relationship with a Sabbath rhythm, with a rhythm of rest. Now today is our last week in a five-part sermon series on Sabbath that we've been walking through. For over a month now, we've been exploring God's fourth commandment to his children, a commandment uh, that has its origins in the creation of the world. And this commandment from God for his children to take a day of the week and to not work, but to rest. And in that rest, to remember who God is and who we are in him and what he's done on our behalf. In Genesis, we see the first evidence of what we would later call the Sabbath. In Genesis 1 and 2, there's an account of God creating the world. On the first day, he creates darkness and light. On the second day, he creates the land and the seas. On the third, he creates vegetation. On the fourth, he creates the sun and the moon and the seasons. On the fifth day, God creates the sea creatures. So fish, eels, sharks, dolphins, mermaids. Just making sure you're... Kind of tracking with me on the sixth, not, not mermaids, I, I don't know, maybe let me get back on track. On sixth day, he, <laughs> mermaids, he formed uh, the land uh, creatures and he formed humanity. But on the seventh day, Genesis 2, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. But the seventh day, the God, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. And then God blessed the seventh day, made it holy because on it he rested from all the work creating that he had done. The blessing of this seventh day, it finds expression again in the book of Exodus after Israel is freed from their enslavement in Egypt while making uh, their way to the land that God had promised them. As a settling place, God gives the Ten Commandments. And, as, uh, and the fourth of the ten is the commandment to cease from work and to rest. The passage that we read, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. 
And for the past several weeks, we've been exploring what it means for us as 21st century Washingtonians to embrace this ancient and God-initiated rhythm of work and rest, and especially what it means for us to engage in the regular practice of ceasing from work for a day, taking 24 hours away from work and the patterns of living that occupy the other six days of our lives so that we might be formed as individuals and as a community of faith into the person and the people that God intends for us to be. We've overlaid the practice of Sabbath with our three guiding values at Christ City Church of worship and community and justice. We've looked at the ways that Sabbath affords us an opportunity to remember and to celebrate the holiness and goodness of God. And that those two acts of remembering and celebration, that that's what frames our worship. And when the church gathers on Sunday, the purpose of our gathering is to remember the promises of God, to remember who he is and what he's done and the person and work of Jesus and to celebrate that work in our lives and to celebrate the truth that we're sons and daughters, that we're not, that we're not many production factories, that we're image bearers that God so loved that he sent his son as the paramount invitation letter to us, welcoming us into his family and inviting us into a life with him so that we might experience life to the full. Last week, Justin Henry highlighted the ways that Sabbath is both community forming and sustaining in community. That the rhythm that God invites us into, a rhythm of work ceasing and rest keeping, is contrary to the rhythms of the world that push us to never stop and demand that we continually work and produce. Yet God's pattern is different. Sabbath forms us into community. As writer and minister Justin Early notes, to live in the world is to be formed. If we are not attentive to our formation, then someone else will do it for us. The place we live in is always forming us, and we need counter-formation habits of grace to resist the grooves of busyness, consumerism, vanity, and injustice that will otherwise be formed, that we will otherwise be formed in should we choose to do nothing. The current of the world will take us away from Sabbath keeping and away from healthy patterns of rest and work. And the work of resisting this misformation, these, these misforming patterns requires that we are embedded in a community of resistance. We can't keep Sabbath alone. And any world resisting patterns that we seek to engage in actually requires community. We, we actually know this in other ways, too. Uh, you don't, like, you don't do CrossFit alone. You just, you, you know, the beauty of CrossFit isn't simply, like, the exercises and the regimen and, like, you know, like, muscle confusion. Like, it's not that. It's the fact that you have other people that are pushing towards exhaustion with you. Now, Whole30, I've never done it. Probably won't ever do it. From what I tell, every time, every person I talk to, they're like, oh, it's the hardest thing, but it was awesome. I feel great, but man, I'm hungry. I'm like, ah, why would I <laughs> do that? But I've heard that you don't do Whole30 by yourself. Like you can't, like you need people around you to be like, don't eat, don't touch, get you, you know, <laughs> don't eat that hamburger. I don't even know what you're not supposed to eat. Just eat salads. I don't know, I don't know, I've lost. I should probably have researched this. You don't do it. If you do, like, you start on Monday, Tuesday, like, you're just like, chips and salsa, give me, you know, like, I don't know how it works. And you Sabbath in community because any, any world-resisting activity that we have to take part in it requires community so we don't do it on our own. 
Pastor uh, Fung, a couple of weeks ago, walked us through how Sabbath practices are linked to, our God, to God's justice and his right setting of the ways that oppression and exploitation have resulted because of sin's effects on the world. He noted how the practice of Sabbath, that it allows us to take steps towards freedom and liberation for ourselves and for others and for the world. Sabbath postures us to rest and to break from toil and untethers us from the belief that we and others are simply production machines whose value is tied to what we produce or what we accomplish. Sabbath carries in it the possibility of dismantling the machinations of oppression that sees creation and humanity exploitatively. Sabbath restores our humanity and restores our right relationship with work and with creation. Sabbath, it serves as a needed rhythm that empowers us to resist the grooves of busyness and injustice. Over the weeks, we've worked to lay a foundation for the ways that Sabbath is necessary in our lives. So with the rest of my time, I want to be a bit more practical and help you begin taking the first steps towards establishing a regular practice of setting aside one day a week where you don't work or you don't engage in a rhythm, uh, and rather you engage in a rhythm of God honoring and God remembering and God celebrating rest. Now, one more thing before I make this turn. As soon as I say that, uh, that I want you to take steps towards setting aside a day of rest and to cease from work, I know you're already in your mind, you're like, Abba Watson, what about? And like just the whatabouts are like, woo, like I can feel them even as I'm up here. Like you're just thinking them right now. What, what about, what about? And you're developing your list of, of whatabouts. A few things that I want to say about those. Um, first, uh, I would just humbly, I know this may sound snarky, but I would just humbly ask, would you use whatabouts for any of the other Ten Commandments? Uh, murder. Yeah, but what about, what, you know, what about? <laughs> I just really don't like that guy. You know, stealing. But what, you know, what about? Does that guy really deserve that car? I should just relieve him of it. <laughs> you know, bearing false witness. What about? What about? Like, you, like you wouldn't use it in any of those other instances. And so be careful if you're using whatabouts in this one. And the second, there's going to be um, those of us for whom Sabbath keeping, it just looks different. It looks wildly different for any number of reasons because of profession or job status or family situations. And, there, and there's so many exceptions that, that I'm not going to be able to address all of them. I, I am going to paint with an incredibly broad brush here. And so you, in concert with the Holy Spirit, will have to discern the Spirit's leading with you in your community and discern how God is asking you to step into Sabbath, given your situation. But keep in mind, a, a, a rhythm of rest is God's design, it's, it's his invitation, it's his commandment. But lastly, for all of us, what I want to say is remember that Sabbath is a gift and that we're all governed by grace. And so begin where you are and begin where, how you can, but don't stay where you are. Continue to grow in it. Cultivate a, a pattern of rhythm and rest and know that God will meet you with whatever you're able and willing to surrender to him. And don't let the enemy dissuade you. God will meet you in your rest with whatever you're able to provide. So having said that, helpful steps for us to take as we begin establishing a healthy relationship with uh, Sabbath keeping, I think for us is uh, this pattern of rest and fast and feast. To rest. 
Let me start there. If we're going to step into God's rhythms, then we should begin uh, doing so in the way that God began. And according to Genesis 2 and Exodus 20, what God did on the seventh day was that he rested. Genesis 2, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day. So church, you must rest. As Justin Henry and Justin Fung have both mentioned already, but bears repeating, what rest looks like for followers of Jesus is something that looks different than sloth or laziness. Rest doesn't equal a neglect of just the common things in life. I cannot say on my Sabbath to Lisa, hey, sorry, babe, I'm not getting out of my pajamas today. Like the kids are yours. Just bring me breakfast in bed. Like that's not like I can't. That's not Sabbath. That's not rest in the way that God means for it. And rest isn't a neglect of the gathering of our community of faith. So I don't want to be getting texts from y'all next week being like, sorry, Watson, I'm going to miss you on Sunday. Sabbath, you know, like that's. <laughs> It's not, that's not it. That's not what's being described in the Bible, in the Old Testament or the New. Rather, it's a rest that comes from the reflection of who God is. It's, it's a rest that comes from interrupting the regular rhythms of work and of engaging in a spiritual discipline that reminds us that God is our sufficiency, that God is our rest, that he is our refuge, he is our restoration. And so the task for us is to consider how God wants us to rest in Sabbath. Now, that will include the gathered community that worships and that celebrates around the communion table, but it's, it's more than that. And rest may look different for some of you than it does for me. For some of you, the rest, rest is going to mean that you walk through the Arboretum or that you walk, take a hike through Rock Creek Park, because for some of you, nature is one of the ways that God reminds you of his love for you and his care for you. And it's the way that you celebrate in the majesty and the greatness of God and that you anticipate Christ's return, so go there. For others of you, the way that you remember and celebrate God uh, in your rest is through service, that your work week finds you in a cubicle, and so the Sabbath may find you preparing diapers for DC Gen or for serving at the rescue mission, because your Sabbath is about serving others. For others, it, it may be that you remember that God is our creator, and so that creating works of art or music or by taking in the art or music or performances of others stir in, your, stir in you affections for Christ. And so your Sabbath may find you covered in paint or getting lost with your uh, musical instrument or writing a song or just listening to a certain playlist on the radio that just reminds you, man, God is good. Maybe Sabbath is long sits in quiet reflection considering the mystery of God's salvation for you. Or maybe for you, it's, it's in the kitchen or in the dining room filled with those that you love and you're serving them in ways different than you're able or called to throughout the week because your rest may be different than mine. And while we uh, will have uh, shared Sabbath practices as a church, we'll gather for worship, we'll be, uh, there will also be other ways in which you will Sabbath beyond the few hours that we're here that God is inviting you to share it with him. So experiment with those. Be adventurous with those and enjoy those, but rest and fast. And what I mean here is that you uh, will need to stop doing some things, chiefly the things that make up your work rhythm of the week. And as I mentioned in our first week, uh, the word itself, Sabbath, it means to cease. It just means to stop. And there are things that you're going to have to stop doing if you're going to enter into Sabbath. 
The fourth uh, commandment, again, it tells us six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day uh, is a Sabbath to the Lord, and on it you shall not do any work. So yes, stop working for that day. But it may be that you also have to lay aside other things so that you can rest well. You may have to silence other voices that haggle for your attention and your affection. You may have to lay aside your phone to rest. You may have to abandon technology altogether so that you can rest. Whatever are those temptations or triggers in your world that would hijack your Sabbath, then you need to set those aside. In her book on Sabbath, theologian Marva Don, she talks at great lengths about how she would work to ensure her Sabbath keeping when she was in graduate school. She was living in a studio apartment at the time. So you know how studios are like, you know, like your bed is right next to your table, which is right next to the kitchen. So it was just like a one room thing. And so her dining room table was also her, like it was her study place. And so on her table, which is also in her living room again, it's all together. So it was just all of her books and her computer and everything sort of strewn out so that she could do her writing. And so each Saturday afternoon as she began to prepare herself for Sunday and her Sabbath keeping, she would make a ritual of tidying up her table, of her dining room table, of putting away her books, and she would take a towel and cover over her computer. Because if she left those things out, that they would beckon her, read one more chapter, write one more paragraph, they would, they would beckon her, and so she, would just, she just covered them up and put them away and rearranged her house in the way that she could so that she could be fully present for Sabbath. It was her way of quieting the other voices that beckoned her. Sabbath is also a feasting day. For the Jews, um, it was a day where they feasted, where they ate food that they didn't eat the other six days of the week. And they ate in a way that they didn't eat the other six days of the week. This one is an interesting one for us, I think, because in a country that's filled with excess and that's filled with plenty, we've lost our sense of feasting in many ways. When we're surrounded daily by cornucopia of food, then the Thanksgiving cornucopia begins to have less meaning for us. But Sabbath can reintroduce for us an anticipation of feasting. And it may not always be the amount of food, but maybe the quality or type, or it may be the company that we keep when we fast or when we feast. Um, when I was growing up, my, uh, my mom would always cook a big meal uh, on Sunday. Now, some of you know, I didn't grow up in a, in a church-going family, but there was enough of a, of a Sunday sort of Sabbath-keeping memory that Sundays were set aside as a special meal. When I, uh, I went to college in my hometown, but I still lived in the dorms because I, I wanted to not be at home for that time. And, um, but I remember my mom, what she would call me on Sunday. She says, you're coming, you're coming for, for Sunday, Sunday dinner. I said, yeah, yes, ma'am, I'll be there. And um, it was, uh, you know, I mean, it was just a rotation. It was shrimp creole, my mom's chicken spaghetti. It was a recipe she got from my great-grandmother. It was amazing. She would fry catfish and homemade hush puppies. Every now and then, my, my dad would be out on the smoker uh, making brisket. And he made amazing pinto beans, too. And I got to tell you, I just I realized that August marked 20 years since I've left Dallas. I haven't lived in Dallas for 20 years, but I still ache for that feast that took place in East Dallas every Sunday. Um, Lisa and I, we've begun to resurrect a, um, a, Sabbath, <laughs> a Sabbath meal practice that we had. We uh, did this um, almost every Sunday when we lived in Memphis for five years, and we've sort of gotten away from it when we moved to D.C., but we're starting to get back to it. And what, what we would do every Sunday night for our Sunday dinner, we'd have breakfast for dinner. 
Because, I mean, who doesn't love breakfast for dinner? I mean, it's like pancakes and waffles and, you know, eggs and sausage. And, and it's fun. Like, you're like, ah, oh, it's seven and I'm eating breakfast. Like, <laughs> so we just do it. It's, it's relatively easy to do. And so it's just like a rhythm uh, that we would eat this on this day. And it's a way that we feast and remember God's goodness towards us. Because we feast on the Sabbath and we eat in a way that's different from the ways that we dine the other six days. And there's something about the ways that we share meals or the quality of food or the company that we're keeping that reminds us of the extravagant love of God. So as you begin your journey of following Jesus into Sabbath, my, my exhortation, my, my plea to you is that you will rest and that you will fast and that you will feast. And in so doing, that you would experience God's presence there. And just one last turn with the practical. And as Justin and I have we've been, been praying about this series and the next steps with it, we've wanted to make sure that we take steps together as a church. And so there's going to be individual steps that you take in Sabbath keeping, but there's also going to be collective steps that we take. Because like we said, you don't, you don't, you don't Sabbath alone. And so there's a few uh, collective steps that we'll take together, Sabbath experiments. The first is we're going to fast together. This Saturday, September 8th, we're asking those that call Christ City Church their home to fast from noon Saturday to noon Sunday. We'll surrender food for 24 hours. And during that day of fasting, we want you to pray and to press into the Lord. Fasts are often opportunities for followers of Jesus to refocus on the Lord. Throughout history, fasts are the catalyst that the Spirit uses to ignite spiritual renewal in the life of a believer and revival in the life of a church. And so ask God to stir in you an ache and a hunger for Him that you've not experienced in some time, if ever. I want to ask you to move, um, ask God to, to move in our church in ways that we've not yet experienced. We want to ask you to ask God to stir in us an urgency for spiritual renewal and a dependency on him that we so often lack. Ask God to stir in us a desperation for his spirit to move in our time and in our city. Pray for our city. Pray that those that are far from Christ would be brought near. Pray for an outpouring of God's peace and his justice in our city. Let us fast together and let us pray together and ache together for God to do something in us and through us and around us that we've not yet seen. And then we'll feast. Sunday the night's our regular community lunch. We'll gather, we will worship, we will remember the goodness of God. We will celebrate God's goodness in our midst and in the world. And then we'll feast together. So bring your best dish next week. Bring, bring your feasting dish on Sunday. I need to see some side dishes that stir in our hearts the majesty of God <laughs> next week. Because we're going to be hungry. <laughs> and we're going to feast together in the house of the Lord with the community of saints. And after we've fasted and we've feasted, we will move into deepening and depending on our Sabbath-keeping rhythms. Now, listen, we, we don't want you to just sort of do that and then, like, storm off on your own. So you've got to have a plan. One of my mentors, when I was in seminary, he'd always kind of come up with these sort of, I don't know, these little ways for me to remember how to sort of organize myself. And one of them was the five Ps. Morgan Davis drilled into me the five Ps. Proper planning prevents poor performance. If 
five piece. Proper planning prevents poor performance. Whenever something I would get messed up on a project or something, he I would say, oh, I messed up. He's like, oh, did you, did you do the five Ps? And invariably it would be, no, I didn't really, I missed some of them. <laughs> So as we think about it, uh, as we think about our Sabbath keeping rhythms, we need to plan. We need to think through our five P's. And so to help us with this, Justin has uh, prepared for us a Sabbath guide. It's uh, in your seats there. There's insights and devotionals into ideas for Sabbath keeping. Matter of fact, there's even ideas in there that have come from within our church. Some of you contributed to the writing and formation of this. This is a tool and a guide to help you lead as you begin or as you begin again or as you deepen your practice of rest. Towards the back of the guide is a sheet for you to plan your Sabbath experiences. And here's the thing for you. As you you move through this week, I want you to begin praying about and asking God how he wants you to meet him on your day of rest. If you want others to to pray for you you as you wrestle through this, feel free to reach out to the prayer team. They can pray with you. Talk with your small group as small groups begin about the, the practices that you want to keep and what the Spirit is saying to you. Because this journey isn't meant to be done alone. And if you're, if you're here and you're actually, you're not even sure about Christ or about Christianity, like that's, that's okay. We're delighted that you're here. You don't have to follow Jesus in order to keep Sabbath. You can engage in this practice too because God's common grace is an invitation to you as well to remember that you are more than the sum of your work. Sabbath is an invitation for all of us to know God more deeply and I pray that even in the rest that you do know that God would reveal to all of us a rest that we have yet to know. The end of this series is really a beginning for us to step into growing rhythms of work and rest. It's a beginning for us to find healing and holiness and wholeness and freedom in Christ and in his ways. It's an opportunity for us to not just take steps towards Sabbath keeping, but to take steps towards the person that we sense God wants us to be three years, five years, or 50 years down the road. And we won't get there if we neglect rhythms of work and rest and keeping Sabbath and remembering who we are in Christ and what he's done on our behalf. And so let's step into that together by God's grace. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you, you're the God of our days and our nights. You are the God of our work and our rest. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would stir in us a sense of anticipation and longing for healthy rhythms to our lives, not just so that we can live healthy, but so that we can follow you and be shaped into your image in the ways that you incline. God, I pray that, that even as we give consideration to what we've discussed over these last weeks, God, that you would help us know how to steward that well. And whatever places or stations of life that we're in, God, I pray that you would give us courage, that you would give us creativity, that we would experience your grace as we move through it. God, I pray that whatever sacrifices folks make to keep the Sabbath in the days ahead, that you would honor those. 
there's going to be places where it's tough, where just weeks run together, days run together, and, and we get out of sorts. God, pray that we would cling to your grace in that and know that you meet us in whatever moments we're able to offer. But Lord, in it all, I pray that you would shape who we are as you remind us whose we are. God, that we would rest as you rest. We work as you work. So God, I pray this over my church. I pray this over my life. In Christ's name, amen.